morning, everybody. So we will continue with Shanti Deva, who is uh, not letting up on us about the power of our attachment. And uh, yeah, he's um, he's going to continue to lay it on. But the section on equalizing self and others, we can see the end of the tunnel where we will find that. Okay, but we first have to do something with all of our attachment, you know. Otherwise, how, how are we going to equalize self and others, which is already quite difficult to do. Okay, but it's, um, it's one of my, my favorite uh, teachings, the equal, equalization of self and others. Okay, so let's uh, imagine in the space in front, all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas who are our role models, who have studied and contemplated and meditated on the teachings themselves, put them into practice in their daily lives, and then with so much kindness, continued the lineage of the teachings so that we can contact them today. So that's generator motivation. And recall the precious opportunity that we have to encounter the Dharma and how much we must have done in many previous lives to create the causes to have the present opportunity especially as monastics and monastic wannabes, than having a virtuous aspiration to really dedicate our lives to the Dharma is, it's hard to come by. And it's difficult to maintain because our Ignorance, anger, and attachment are constantly interfering with our our innermost 
wishes and aspirations and motivations. So as Shantideva recommends in chapter 7, we put on the armor of joyous effort and go forward in our practice with a lot of happiness and enthusiasm. And then share that happiness and enthusiasm and whatever we have learned through our practice with other living beings. Motivated by the aspiration for ourselves and all others to attain the state of a fully awakened Buddha. So generate that motivation now. So there was one news article yesterday, today. I didn't read the article. I just read the headline. But some scientist wants to count the number of ants in the world. So I I don't think he's going to count them one by one, but at least make an estimate. And uh, and the the title of the article just said, you're going to have to find a lot more zeros. Okay, so that means there's going to be 10 to the whatever number of ants in the world. And and we have a lot of them here, okay? You know, all over our property. Lance, uh, I I haven't seen any. Yeah, I think they they sold their property and went on to, to buy some new, to get some new property. Oh, the turkeys. Okay. Yeah, because we used to have two big anthills right outside here. Um, But I'm confident that they took care of themselves and relocated. Uh, But, you know, to think, here we are, and how many ants on the property and how many human beings? And if we were to consider all the land in the world, a lot of which is uninhabited by human beings, and how many ants are there? You know, and then you see that the number of human beings is actually quite small. And among that, uh, not all human beings have a precious human life. Yeah, there's many other conditions uh, that we have to have to have the opportunity to encounter the Dharma and 
study it and practice it without interferences. So somehow, it, when we think about it, it almost seems miraculous, you know, that how did, how did we come across that, that opportunity? And when I think of myself and how I grew up, you know, kind of there weren't any Buddhists around where I grew up. Yeah. Uh, The culture was not a Buddhist culture. Um, You know, the values of the community were not Buddhist. So it seems even more miraculous that somebody like me encountered the Dharma. You know, I mean, if you're if you're born as a Tibetan, for example, it's not. Yeah, you're going to encounter the Dharma when you're a kid, and that's just the way it is. But us, yeah, growing up in this country, it's like, how in the world did that happen? So when we really think about it, um, we see the preciousness of, of our opportunity and uh, and what we can do with it, and then we don't want to waste it. So what Shantideva is doing in this section is uh, targeting how we waste our lives. Yeah? And he's especially targeting attachment because that's one of the biggest ways we... We waste our lives, isn't it? Uh, Looking for beautiful things and glitter and so on and so forth, the eight worldly concerns. So, uh, yeah. And the thing is that, you know, we have to really work hard on diminishing the eight worldly concerns because the presence or absence of the eight worldly concerns is the demarcation between an action being a dharma action and being a worldly action. Yeah. So it's not just sufficient to look like we're practicing dharma, but to have a worldly mind because the worldly motivation will contaminate whatever we do. Yeah. So it's very important um you know to to really be able to identify the eight worldly concerns in our experience. And then with understanding, that's very important, with understanding their disadvantages, then to leave the eight worldly concerns aside. Okay. I emphasize the with understanding because if we don't have deep understanding in our own hearts about the disadvantages of the eight worldly concerns, then we're just going to wind up pushing ourselves with a lot of shoulds and ought tos and supposed tos. And that, you know, that doesn't produce the kind of, it gets, it may get us going in the right direction to start with, but it doesn't bring about stable, uh, a stable change in our mind. Yeah, because how much can you should yourself? You know, to, to what emph- 
to what degree can we just say, I shouldn't be attached, I shouldn't be attached. Oh, I want this extra piece of whatever it is, and I deserve it. Oh, I shouldn't have it. Oh, good. I restrained myself. I didn't take the extra brownie. But, oh, I want that. I'm dreaming about brownies. You know, so I'm offering tons of brownies to all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and may that ripen in my receiving tons of brownies in the future. Okay? Um, no. Uh, and we all know, because we've all done it, I think, what happens when we squeeze ourselves? Okay. We just bottle everything up, and then at one point we just go, <laughs> okay? So that's where the understanding comes in. And that's why these verses in Shantideva are so important, because he is really hitting at the disadvantages of attachment. And when we understand those, and especially not just understanding them here, okay? It's easy to know the words, but when we can look at our own lives and see what happens when we follow attachment, you know, that's when the understanding comes. And that's what makes it much easier to leave things aside. Yeah. So it's not that we are expected all at once to, you know, release all of our objects of attachment, but to really focus on, on generating the understanding of the disadvantages of attachment, you know, and how attachment and self-centeredness are our enemies, not our friends. And then, you know, it, it's, it becomes easier. Okay. It, it's like, if somebody offers you, you know, some delicious food, but you know it's laced with poison, then the, the understanding that it's going to make you sick overpowers the attachment to the delicious food. So the same here, if we know that following attachment is going to bring us suffering in this life and future lives, then it makes it easier, you know. It's like, well, who wants to get involved with attachment then if it's only going to bring this kind of result, okay? But like I said, it's a slow process, and it has to be done with understanding, yeah. There are times, I mean, one of the reasons we take precepts is because when our understanding is not so deep, the precepts at least protect us from doing the actions. Okay, you know, if if you have a precept of celibacy, you know, your mind may still be interested in who knows what, but you refrain from the action. And in the meantime, you learn about the disadvantages of attach, sexual attachment, which is, you know, what he's spending a good chunk of this chapter on. And then with that understanding, it becomes much easier to, to keep the precept. And so the same with, you know, so many of the other precepts that deal with 
with our, our, you know, our greed and our wish to get more and better and more and better and more and better. Whether it's sense objects or we want praise, we want approval, yeah, we want a good reputation. All of that is included in sense objects. So don't just think sense objects mean, you know, a pretty thermos. It's, uh, yeah, because how, how do you have a good reputation? It comes be- because you hear things about yourself and you read things about yourself. How do you, you know, get the praise? Again, hearing yeah, approval, hearing, seeing people's faces. So these things all, it comes back to our senses, which is why, um, you know, when we were doing a Tisha's text on Monday, the Joel Garland, you know, he was so emphatic about guard your senses. Yeah, because if your senses are, we don't do that, we're like all over the place, then we start hinting, we start flattering, we give a small gift to get a big gift, you know, and then we devolve into what is wrong livelihood. Yeah, when the Buddha talked about wrong livelihood. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So we have to really think about these teachings and, and see their truth. Okay, so again, to remind people, this is not, you know, beginning teacher teachings for people just coming into the Dharma. Yeah, and uh, it, you know, when he's talking about everything here about, because well, he's still talking about sexual attachment, everything you have to do to fulfill your sexual desires you know, he's he's not saying sex is bad. He's not saying it's sinful. He's not saying the body is evil. He is just saying, look at your own experience and see what unfolds from it. Okay. Okay. So uh, we'll start with uh, verse 73 today. So some malicious and lustful people wear themselves out by working all day. And when they return home in the evening, their exhausted bodies lie prostrate like corpses. So they worked hard all day to get the money, to have a spouse, to support a family. But when they get home, they're wiped out from working And they can't really enjoy, you know. It's like, honey, I'm too tired, you know. And uh, yet they went through all that rigmarole to, you know, to have that. So it's very interesting to, to relate different subjects and see how, you know, once there's the desire What's the, once there's sexual desire, then you get into, uh, you know, getting married and having children. And when you have a spouse and children, then you need money to support them. So then you have to work. And the, the spouse, your spouse and your children want 
you know, they want sense things. They want what, especially nowadays when you have kids, they all want what other, what all the other kids have. So as a good parent, you want to give them, uh, first of all, what you didn't have when you were growing up. And second of all, you want to give them what all their friends have. So you have to earn more money to be able to afford all of that, which means you work longer hours or you travel more, okay? And, uh, and then it also means you have to have a certain kind of car. You have to live in a certain kind of neighborhood, yeah, with a certain kind of house, with certain kind of possessions, yeah, because you are moving in a certain class of Americans and with your kids and their friends in a certain class being able to afford certain things, you know, and you don't want your kids coming home crying, you know, oh, Johnny across the street has the latest, you know, digital hoogagaga, and mommy and daddy won't get that for me. You know, you don't want to hear that as a parent. So, you know, you see how one thing leads to the other, and then pretty soon your whole life is, is captivated by that. Yeah, and then you have to, you know, uh, you want to get a, a, a good-paying job where you can get raises, yeah, and so, you know, all the competition that goes on in the workplace and so on and so forth, yeah. And it all started with sexual desire. It's very interesting when you, when you trace this whole thing, yeah. Okay, then 74, some have the suffering of being disturbed with travel and having to go a long way from home. Although they long for their spouses, they do not see them for years at a time. Okay, so travel in, in ancient times, you know, if you were going to be a trader, boy, you were gone really for years. It took a long time. Um, now, Still, I mean, people travel a lot for business and you're away, maybe not for years at a time, but sometimes for months at a time. If you work for an international corporation, you know, and you have to go to somewhere else where they're starting new, some new project. And, uh, and then other people just to travel, you know, in your own city to somewhere else in the country. And then you're on the plane, whoop-dee-doo. Who likes to sit on planes for a long time? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you're separated from your loved ones. And when you get back, you're exhausted after the, you know, your traveling trip. Okay. So although they long for their spouses, they do not see them for years at a time. And I, I, I think of people like who enlist in the army, um, and there's a verse later on about becoming a soldier, but uh, I, I think of them and, you know, they'll get deployed for months and years at a time, and you're always reading stories of, of people 
you know, the, the, with, with the guys, you know, their wives are pregnant and they're off fighting some war and their wife is giving, re, giving birth. And, you know, she wants him there and, you know, and he wants to be there, but he's off, you know, either getting killed or killing others as a way, you know, as a career to, to, uh, start a family. Yeah. And there's one image that, that has really stuck in my mind about this. And like I say, there's another verse coming about it, but I'll give you the story now. Um, you may remember there was some, uh, they were doing some kind of operation in Africa a few years ago. And a few of American soldiers uh, got killed in it. Yeah. Um, and Trump spoke to the wife of one of them on the phone and and she was not very happy about it but the image cuz she went to the uh airport you know cuz they're bringing the body of her husband home and you know there's his casket you know draped in an american an american flag and uh i think they had one child perhaps two already you're remembering this story. And, and there's a, a picture of her kneeling at her husband's casket, you know. And her whole life is, is changed. Whole life, completely changed now because her husband was killed. And she's pregnant with this child too. And so she's going to have this baby. He's already dead. You know, she's going to raise her child plus the new baby by herself. And, you know, the army may give her a little bit of money, but she's going to be on her own. And her whole life is changed by this. So I just, you know, I remember seeing that picture and thinking, wow, uh, you know, people don't think about this when they enlist in the army or Marines or wherever it is. Okay. So here it says, although they long for their spouses, they do not see them for years at a time. But also they can get killed in the process and never see their spouses again. 75, for some who wish for benefit due to confusion, they even sell themselves for the sake of sexual partners and the like. But not attaining what they wish, they are aimlessly driven by the winds of others' actions. Okay, so they sell themselves. Yeah. So it, it did happen, you know, in Europe and in Asia, that people would sell themselves. And what's the whole thing about indentured uh, servants? You know, at the founding of this country, people who sold themselves as indentured servants crossed over to America, worked for almost nothing in grueling situations, you know, uh, in order to get a little bit of money, and yet 
you know, they're an ocean away from their spouses. Okay? But not attaining what they wish. They are aimlessly driven by the winds of others' actions. When you sell yourself, yeah, and here, you know, he's talking literally, yeah, you sell yourself, uh, then your life is no longer your own, yeah. And so sell yourself, you know, involves, it sounds like there's a choice that you're doing it in order to get the finances. But think of all the people who were abducted and became slaves without their choice, without financial remuneration, and without any freedom. Yeah. And how this happened, you know, the founding of this country, and how that was the basis of the economy of this country, and one of the reasons why the country was so successful, and why people are benefiting now from the labor done on the backs of slaves before. But slavery was not only in America, yeah. Um, it was all over the world. And many of the uh, Roma and Sinti people were often uh, abducted into slaves in Europe, yeah. And, and yeah, everywhere you look, it, it's really kind of amazing how human beings can think of other human beings as property. But what he's saying here is, you know, somebody may sell themselves into slavery for this, you know, to be able to support a family. Uh, but then, you know, how can you get back to your family? How can you get out of being an indentured servant? You know? And I think, you know, if we look, what about credit card debt? Yeah. What happens? You know, you're not selling your body, but you're financing everything by your credit card. And then who owns you? Yeah, who are you indebted to? Uh, the credit card company. Yeah, you can't just say, well, uh, sorry, uh, I bought too much, but I've already used it and I can't return it, so uh, the store is the loser. Yeah. And it's hard to declare bankruptcy, and if you do, it's a stain on your credit record. Yeah, but how many people get, get trapped in credit card debt? Yeah, a lot. And uh, the interest for credit cards, credit card debt, is a lot, you know. And so even, you, you know, you're trying to pay it off, but you're mostly paying the cost of in, in, the interest, and it's very hard to even pay the principal off. Okay, but what what breeds this, you know, attachment? We want different possessions. Yeah, we want this, we want that. Yeah, I was just reading that many people now are taking out loans to have a wedding. Because when you have a wedding, you want to have a big wedding. 
and have, you know, gazillions of people there and give them all souvenirs to take home with them with your names on them and beautiful wedding invitations. And, uh, you know, I mean, it is a business. Weddings are a huge business. And so here's a couple. They start out their life with debt because, I mean, a wedding nowadays can cost who knows how much. You know, it's in the tens of thousands of dollars. And, yeah, how do you pay that back? Okay. So they are driven, driven... They are aimlessly driven by the winds of others' actions. So whoever you sold yourself to. I remember also reading a book. Um, Some of you may remember the the name. I I read it a long time ago. It was about uh, people in Bombay, um, some of the, the untouchables, I think it was. And to to cover their expenses and support their their family, they sold their organs. Yeah, anybody remember the name of that book? You know, so they would, uh, you know, you would, you're impoverished, you sell your liver, for example, or your kidneys or whatever, so they take you to a hospital. Yeah, you're trusting them. Uh, you may have sold your kidney, but they also take your liver or your pancreas or some other thing. Yeah. Sanitation is mm, iffy. Yeah. They sew you back up. You go back to your family and you have to go back to work immediately, even though you've just had major surgery. And then there's the risk of infection because you're living in a slum where things, you know, where you're poor to start out with and there's little sanitation. And this was happening in Bombay. Okay, so that this is uh, 76. Some sell their own bodies and without any power are employed by others. Okay, here, at least they're employed. They're not selling They're not going into major surgery where you have no control over what they're going to take out because once they put you under, they can take out whatever they want. Yeah? And without any power are employed by others. Even when their wives give birth, their children fall at the feet of trees in lonely places. Yeah? So... You know, so many people traveling in the army, they go back home. Yeah. And their wives have had kids and they weren't there. And maybe they're away for years at a time. And last time you saw your kid, they were eight months old. And the next time you see them, they're two years old and they're wondering who you are. Maybe you uh, did computer time with them, but they only know dad through the computer. They don't reckon, you know, toddlers, yeah, their dad walks in the door and they they can't necessarily, they know the voice, but they can't associate the living person with uh, the person on the other end of the, the Zoom call that they've been talking to 
as they've been growing up. Yeah. So quite difficult. 77. Some fools who are deceived by desire and wishing for a livelihood think, I shall earn my living as a soldier. Then, although afraid of losing their lives, they go to war. Others become slaves for the sake of profit. Okay, so, you know, becoming a a soldier is looked upon as, in this country, as a very honorable thing to do. Yeah, but the, the ads on TV that are meant to attract enlistments, they are not the reality of what being a soldier is, you know. The ads are all about, you know, you're there, well, you know, in your dress uniform with the flag behind you saluting, you know, you look like a man who is a soldier who's fighting for their country, you know. And that scene is like the epitome of masculinity. Yeah. And and is battle like that? What happens when you're in the middle of battle? Yeah, you aren't wearing your dress uniform. You know, it's dirty. You're scared. You know the word. Um, You know, you're scared out of your mind. You don't know when the battle's going to end. Bombs are falling around you. Yeah. And you're terrified. And then, you know, many people are killed. And then many people are injured, you know. And you come back home and uh, you're minus a leg. Yeah. Or you're, uh, maybe you're even quadriplegic. Yeah. They keep you alive, but what kind of life do you have after that? Yeah, it's very different than the image of, you know, being the strong, brave man. Yeah, it's very different from the advertisement on TV. Yeah. But, you know, it appeals, I think, to young men's uh, thing of, you know, wanting to be a man and prove themselves and be physically strong and no, I'm not afraid of anybody. Uh, That's your outer shell. Inside, what's going on? (laughs) Yeah. It's very good. You know, um, uh, Ken Burns uh, did a whole series on Vietnam and and during the Vietnam War, they had reporters in the military who were going out to the battlefields and filming the actual battles. Yeah, it's very good to watch this, you know, and see what what's really uh, going on. And just even what we saw in the last few days, World War Two, you know, bombs falling in a city. What we look at in the newspaper what's going on in Ukraine. 
I mean, it's amazing how people continue to, to live in the cities there when so much has been bombed and destroyed and the war just keeps going on. And now, um, here's your, your, your latest news report, um, because the, the war is going very poorly for Putin at this moment and the Ukrainian troops have retaken uh, a lot of area that the Russians had uh, were occupying. So uh, Putin has just called up 300,000 more men to, to fight for Russia. And the response has been that all the, <laughs> the tickets from all the, to, uh, from all the airlines in all the cities are sold out because the men want to get out of the country. They don't want to go to war. And the mothers don't want their sons to go to war. Yeah. So now tickets to get out of the country are like $16,000. I mean, and that's to get to a country that doesn't require Russians to have visas. They just want to get out of the country. So there's a few countries, Malaysia, Indonesia, you know, maybe a few like that where they can go. Yeah. And they're just trying to get out, and now all the tickets are gone. And a lot of the land routes um, by train had been closed very early on in, in the conflict. Yeah. So, so people are, are quite afraid. Yeah. So, uh, so people are giving, been, being given orders to report to the local, uh, enlistment services the next day. Yeah. So it's very difficult for many of them to get out of the country. They, you know, they've got to report on penal, you know, versus penalty of getting arrested or who knows what. And there's uh, some process, some demonstrations now happening in some cities, yeah. Which um, you know, of course, Putin doesn't like, but they're rounding up the people who are protesting, and we're seeing video clips of it. Um, the police, you know, carrying people by two arms and two legs, or dragging people along the sidewalks to put them in the wagon uh, because they've been protesting, you know. And it's just protesting. I mean, they're not vandalizing anything. It's just you are not allowed to protest. Okay. So that that's going on. Um, yeah. In several of the big cities through, you know, especially, I mean, Leningrad and, and Moscow, or St. Petersburg and Moscow, but even uh, Novo, Novo Sibirsk, you know, it's in Siberia. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that was 77, 78. Some lustful people even cut their bodies. Others impale themselves on the point of stick, points of sticks. Some stab themselves with daggers, and others burn themselves. Such things as these are quite apparent. 
Yeah. So this is, he's talking about at least what happened in ancient India of what people do to, um, to get the finances to start a, fa- a family. Okay. So I don't know what, if they're doing these things for pay or for to impress uh, the family of whoever they're interested in. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, Singaporeans, yeah. Do you know, because uh, I've seen in, in Singapore and especially in Malaysia, uh, some of the people, not the Buddhists, mostly Hindus, dragging uh, very heavy carts along and the carts, the uh, chains are hooked into the flesh in their back. And they are dragging those along. Is that done just for religion or do they earn money or get social prestige or anything from that? Just religion. Okay. But the, the, it would boost their standing in the community. It's a, the, all of the guys do that? I think it, my understanding is you have a choice and then they do a lot of meditation before that to prepare. It's like a purification and then uh, sometimes they are in trance when they do that so they don't really feel the pain. Mm. And the Chinese do them too. Yeah. Yeah, some of my uncles have done it kind of. Sure. They're in the trance and you just carry And, and drag the... Not not the same as the Indians, but uh, yes, they have swords. <laughs> and they would stick themselves with swords? Kind of. But they're in trance and there's a, there's a process that you get to. Yeah. So if you're not really into it, then you feel the pain. Okay. Why did they do that? What What's the purpose? Some religious beliefs, they have some purification. It's some purification process and they walk the fire too. Yeah. Mm. I saw that with my students. So there's a lot of pride. I don't know, like the family's like, oh, you're doing something. It's a rite of passage and you're becoming a man um, among my students too. Oh, it's so-and-so's big day. He's going to go see the medium and get possessed or get stuck with, <laughs> I don't know what, but your friends support this too. Mm. It's like a, it's, it gives you a sense of power. You can channel spirits or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's amazing when you see them driving, you know, walking down the streets of a modern city with these big hooks, you know, into their back, pulling these very heavy things. Yeah. 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 I think even more so in, in um, Malaysia. At least I saw them more in Malaysia. Maybe. Maybe Singapore competes and has more. <laughs> yeah? On Easter, there are processions in Mexico from the Catholics. And while they, while they walk, they are... Flagellating. Yes. Self-flagellating. Yes. And they consider that a purification practice. Yeah. And also, there are some... Um, people who who have beliefs in the tribes like who comes from the tribes mm. who yeah. who have ancient who have been in tribes before mm-hmm. and they hook themselves here and they they hang 
until the flesh is pulled. So they put hooks. They put like a hook here. You put a hook. Like if you're fishing, you put uh-huh. a hook here, here on your chest. Uh-huh. And then you are hanged until it's pulled. And until your flesh breaks yeah. and you fall. Yeah. You don't fall. You, it's like, uh, Benoit explained, they are kind of in trends before. Yeah. But it's a way that they show like courage mm. and things to, it's, I mean, you see a lot of blood there. It's very impressive. Yeah. Very, very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was, I should probably tell you this, uh, cause after last week's teachings, when we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, how men are acculturated and how women are acculturated, uh, somebody wrote and said that they, they, uh, that the presentation I gave was kind of outdated. Yeah. And that nowadays, uh, the big thing for the young men is porn. And, uh, you know, that's what they're really involved in and addicted to. And, uh, one of the reasons why they feel lonely and why they don't know how to relate to living women. And it was also saying, you know, one guy, cause he sent a, a few, um, links to things on on the web of discussion about this. And one of the the guys was saying, um, what was it? Yes, that there's a crisis of young men now uh, because, and what he said as an example, is that all the mass shooters are young men. You know, and you see that it's, yeah, you don't find the women doing it or the older men. It's the young men. And, uh, you know, how lost they are. They didn't talk a lot about remedies, you know, but it's something that needs to to be dealt with. Yeah. So it's interesting. I had, you know. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, these are all crises within our society. And what's fueling it is, you know, the wish for, for pleasure and the wish for prestige. And everybody's being affected by it. I mean, clearly with mass shooting, it's, you know, it may be the young men who perpetrate, but it's affecting everybody in the whole country. Okay, and so in this verse, in 78, when when they're talking not only about others, uh, people impaling themselves and all, but, um, but they're talking about what people do to get wealth to support a family and how they then get in trouble with the law. And so in ancient India, you know, um, and in countries today, too, if you steal to get wealth, uh, you know, they often punish you by cutting off your hand. Or uh, I guess some of the kings in past eras um, did 
did something with with pointed spheres, uh, sticking them in people, or they had to come out of certain orifices. I, I didn't. I don't. I don't know about these things. Yeah, but it, these are the kinds of things that are mentioned here. Um, you know, others burn themselves. This is one way. If you're in a gang, you know, you why do you join a gang? It gives you security. You have access to a group of friends. You're socially accepted. Yeah, you. your honor is very important when you're in a gang and you reap some wealth from it. And so sometimes burning or uh, tattoos to show your membership in a, in a gang. You know, I don't imagine the burning is much fun. Um yeah, but all sorts of things that, that people do to, yeah, to show that they're a member of a certain gang and therefore they have prestige or they get this or that. Yeah. So it's interesting how he's talking here. And he's not just talking about like the Brahmins, the upper class and what they do, but how this this how lust affects all the different classes of people and uh, has a very very wide reach in terms of what people uh, have to do to fulfill their desire 79 due to the torment involved in collecting it protecting and finally losing it i should realize wealth to be fraught with infinite problems those who are distracted by their attachment to it have no opportunity to gain freedom from the misery of conditioned existence. Okay, this is a, a good summary verse. He, he continues going on, so it's not ending the section yet here. But this, is, this verse is really, uh, yeah, putting it all together. And so he's specifically talking about wealth, but, you know, wealth, material possessions. Then from wealth, you know, how wealth links to family, to sexual desire, to self-image, to a feeling of self-worth, to your status in the family, to, uh, you know, getting ahead and having a good reputation in society, um, through to feeling uh, um, protected in your old age that you have money to rely on, okay? So how attachment to wealth actually uh, it clearly links to so many other attachments and so many other needs in society. So in all these things, you know, they're all kind of, if you're linked together, if you're attached to your reputation, that links to all these other attachments. And, you know, the whole kit and caboodle is just one sticky mess. Yeah. So clearly he's, he's talking to monastics here. He's, you know, in terms of what he's saying to lay people is, you know, Yes, you're going to be involved in all of this, but be moderate, you know, and don't get into it above it above your head. And above all, don't create, you know, any of the ten 
uh, destructive actions to get the wealth. Yeah, and, you know, if you uh, you need wealth to survive in the world these days, you can't, you know, um, but don't, but uh, procure your wealth in an honest way, yeah, without uh, lying or cheating or, you know, the various forms of stealing and so on, yeah. Um, So it, it's quite interesting now, another example from the news. As you know, I mean, that's why I read the news. It's all about samsara. It's, it's great long run. Yeah? Um, so dear Donnie, is, is, he's in big trouble now. Um, as we all know, you know, part of Donnie's uh, glamour and why he attracted so many voters to to start with was his image as somebody who got a lot of wealth very quickly and is extravagantly wealthy, but understands the plight of uh, working class Americans and wants to help them. Okay, this was his image, and this is you know, how many of his followers see him. But now what is happening? You know, when he was president, he kept on saying executive privilege, and, and, and many people agreed that you don't want to throw a big lawsuit on the president because it's going to distract him from governing the country and so on. But now that he's no longer president, yesterday... Um, Letizia James, from the uh, who's the attorney general in New York, I think that's her position. Anyway, she for years in her department has been investigating his finances, and they just uh, yesterday made uh, sent to the court uh, a two hundred page indictment <laughs> with all the facts of how he has lied about his wealth and how he has lied, um, you know, saying that uh, different pieces of property were smaller and therefore were worth less so that he didn't have to pay as much taxes on them. Because we all know that he paid, what, $750 taxes for a couple of years? And uh, so there's that. And then in other cases, in order to get loans, he inflated the, the uh, square feet of different properties and their values in order, you know, to use that as, as um, what do you, collateral to get loans to buy more stuff. So all of this conniving that he's been doing, and it's not just him. The indictment is also for Donnie Jr., Ivanka, and Eric. So all four of them as, you know, and and Donnie had signed all these different things that were sent to banks and so on. So, you know, what we're seeing is, uh, you know, he got away with all of this stuff for many years, lying and 
cheating, you know, stealing. He is known in New York City for not paying his uh, the people who work for him. Yeah, and I heard that repeatedly when I was in New York, and the the article uh, in the paper was saying that he is not well liked in New York. This is his reputation. So, so what we're seeing is. Um, you know, he, he got away with it for a long time, but now the results are, are coming and he cannot claim, well, I'm the president, so I should be immune from this. Yeah. Of course, he's, he's saying his usual thing whenever something happens, which is, it's a witch hunt. They're trying to destroy me. I haven't done anything wrong. It's the it's the uh, Dems, it's the uh, uh, liberal elite, and they're all out to get me, and I'm just an honest person who's working uh, for the country. You know, that's his. That's what he always says. So he's saying that. Um, but it, it it's interesting, you know. I mean, a real life story when you create negativity to, to get possessions and social status, eventually something's going to happen. Yeah. And, and here it's, it says, um, mm-hmm. oh, it may come a little bit later. Oh, no. Due to the torment involved in collecting it, project, protecting it, the wealth, and finally losing it. So you lose it in terms of the law coming after you. And if that doesn't happen, you eventually lose it when you die. You cannot take it with. And it doesn't matter whether you die rich or poor or have a luxurious uh, funeral or not. The result is that you are dead and your karma is propelling you towards another rebirth, you know, as a reflection of the kind of actions that you did. And at that point, yeah, when you're in the dot, when you're dying, and, and the karma is ripening, uh, you know, I don't care how many lawyers you have; they're not going to do any good. Yeah. And all your newspaper clippings praising you and how much power, they don't do any good. And, you know, none of that does any good. You, you are separated from what you spent your whole life trying to get. And you did that by harming a number of other living beings. So it's a good example for us. Well, no, it's a bad example for us. <laughs> we don't want to follow that example. But it's a good example in the sense that it really shows us um, how easy it is to get caught up in that attachment to wealth and social status and what the results are at the end of the day for that. You know, And, you know, one thing in Dharma practice is it really encourages us to think ahead, not just to think of what is going to happen today and, uh, you know, what good or bad things can happen today, but 
what are the results of our actions later on in this life, and what are the results of our actions in future lives? And to think about that, and then to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing now worth having that kind of result? Yeah, And people who can think uh, long-term and abstain from uh, grasping at pleasant at pleasure now wind up having better situations in the future than people who don't think about the results of their actions and just uh, you know want the pleasure right now, the immediate pleasure. So we see this you know so much in Dharma practice that, to create virtue, we have to, um, you know, give up this this addiction to immediate pleasurable results. It doesn't mean torment ourselves. The Buddha was very clearly against, you know, torment and extreme asceticism and so on. Yeah. So this again comes back to understanding. Uh, the teachings and understanding cause and effect, and through that understanding, you know, revising how we make decisions about what to do and what not to do, and what is important in our lives and what is not important. Okay, so those who are distracted by their attachment to wealth... No, I'm sorry, I should read the whole thing... Okay, so we did verse, this first line. I should realize wealth to be fraught with infinite problems. Yeah. Usually, we don't think of wealth as fraught, fraught with infinite problems. But it is. You know, as soon as you have a car, you are in car hell in this life. Because as soon as you have a car, it's going to break or it's going to get dented, or rammed into, or who knows what. And you're going to have to figure out how to hand that up. When you have a computer or a, or a smartphone, immediately you're in computer hell or smartphone hell. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else besides me ever been in computer hell? You know, you're trying to get something done, and the computer is just like... It has its own mind, and it's doing its own trip. And, you know, you look, you you Google about what to do for this problem. You try it, and it just makes the problem worse. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, you call Venerable Jigme and Venerable Rinchen and scream, help! You know, and then they they look at you with, okay, I'll give it a try. <laughs> And they try, and they often fix it, and they often spend days and hours, you know, going through the whole thing. As soon as you have a website, you have website hell. You know, we should all feel very sorry for poor Venerable Damja, who for months now is struggling to get the website out of website hell. Um Okay, uh, so as soon as you have anything, yeah, because its nature is transient, you're going to have problems with it. Okay, you know, 
we we have the abbey yeah so you know there we need to put in a french drain in the garden it sounds easy you know you just dig a trench and put this pipe in and then the whole problem solved well in digging the trench they found what five electric wires all going in different directions various water pipes going they don't know where and uh bits of concrete here and there okay i walked by this morning to check out how, how they were doing and doug who was you know i mean he's the champion who uses the the machines like he's using his hand he's so skillful with it and there's some guy down in the ditch you can just see the top of his head and you know and they're talking and trying to figure out this problem and i said to Doug how's it going and he said it's going <laughs> and i said i hear it's being it's challenging and he said yes it's challenging yeah and so i mean they're being incredibly creative but what we thought was going to be a one day job is turning into you know multiple days and the end of the job is not seen yet okay so i mean the point is as soon as you have something and you have to take care of it yeah um yeah you yeah i should realize wealth to be fraught with infinite problems yeah those who are distracted by their attachment to it have no opportunity to gain freedom from the misery of conditioned existence yeah so those who are distracted by their attachment to to wealth and all of the other things that is linked to the prospect of liberation and awakening is distant okay we have time for maybe one or two questions so he's speaking out here against attachment yeah attachment is the problem not the wealth okay the wealth is the object we generate this clinging longing whatever to it is just a comment it says there is one book called commodifying bodies oh commodifying bodies that's that's not the title i was thinking of but it sounds like it's talking about yeah selling your body for something my cousin's husband uh works for his brother's father-in-law because they're multimillionaires and what he does once a month or maybe i think it's twice a month they get him on a private jet and he flies out to an island on the west coast and he checks their property because they have multiple cars like many and multiple boats and just stuff that they're terrified that someone will steal so his job is just to go out and make sure everything is secure and he's flown out and back on a private jet for this family that has so much stuff wow and they live they have five other homes so he's just checking one location but the stress you know and the money they pay him and the fuel that's burned in transporting him alone on the private jet to check their cars and boats and 
whatever else. Wow. Mm -hmm. Is it true that um, all the mass shooters have been white also? Young, white, young, white males. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That's significant. It's not. Oh, the, the mass shooters. Right. Every single one. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly young, white males. I was thinking of the examples, you know, that you gave in terms of um, kind of the harm to the body for these rites of passages. And it seemed like, you know, so many of them are, you know, for me, it's like, okay, I don't necessarily relate to this, but I've seen this in college in, say, you know, fraternities, you know, and, and I'll say that, you know, they're, the Greek organizations on the whole try really hard to not have hazing happen, but it still does. And so, you know, it's not just, you know, people in, in gangs or people in other countries burning themselves or cutting themselves, yeah. but, you know, upper class mainstream. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Uh, if I could just change what you said, actually, they want to have the hazing. They just don't want to get caught. And they don't want anything negative to happen. But that's another thing that's in the news these days is the uh, one kid, of course, had a hazing thing. He was a freshman. They got him a bottle of Jack Daniels and told him to drink the whole bottle. And the next morning he was dead. And his parents, you know, uh, are bringing, they brought a lawsuit against the university. And uh, several of the kids, several of the frat boys were arrested. But what the, the parents want, they don't want the frat boys to be put in prison, but they want them to go around and give talks at universities and high schools about this kind of behavior. And they go around with the kid's father. And they give the talk together with the father of their friend whose death they are responsible for. And I thought that father, he knew what he was doing, you know, to drive that home to these kids, that it's not just, you know, let's be frat boys and have a good time. It's, it's you know, and, and there's more and more cases now of, of uh, fraternity things happening, and it's in the news, and the kids are getting arrested. The national fraternity organizations are getting fined. The universities are getting in trouble. So there's more cases now about that. Yes. Okay. Let's dedicate. 